have all these techniques that are open to us and available to us, and particularly for storytelling. Uh, and so I do it by using as many techniques as I as I can think of, as I can get in. And so. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. My name's Dave. And I'm your host. I'm not in Edinburgh anymore, but our podcasts are still going to be coming out every day during the Edinburgh Festival with recordings that we made whilst we were up there as part of the PBH Free Fringe. Stand Up Tragedy is a show where people stand up and do tragedy. At Stand Up Tragedy, we aim to make people laugh until they cry and cry until they laugh. Stand Up Tragedy went up to Edinburgh with lots of pre-existing relationships with amazing performers who are performing at the Fringe, either as part of the Free Fringe or as part of the Paid Festival. It was great to be able to dip into those amazing performers and bring them back to the Stand Up Tragedy stage. And one of those friends is Superbard. You can catch Superbard's stage show, The Flood. He's on at the underbelly. The stand-up tragedy scene have seen it, and we all thought it was pretty bloody amazing. It's a really great combination of multimedia, proper good, emotional, funny storytelling, and a delightfully charming performance. To get an idea of how it feels, here's Superbard singing the title song from his show, The Flood. I feel somewhat less from the future when I'm not in costume. I look a little bit more like a well, teenage boy, really, don't I? But with a pretend beard. Um, I uh, unfortunately have to rush off by the end. So at the end, you're going to have loads of people trying to thrust you flyers at the ones that you've seen. I've just left mine on the table. Uh, so you should feel guilty if you don't pick it up. Good. Uh, this one is called Brixton's Afloat. It's from the show uh, that I'm doing at Underbelly at 10 past one. And it goes a little bit like this. I have a backing track because I'm, I'm greedy. Now I've had Brixton's afloat, will you lay your body next to mine? And we'll sink to the bottom of the sea. For now, my darling, we should smother ourselves in yeah, pride. December 23rd, war red time. Seth concerned with my attitude at work. Paul Fitchett was arguing that regional variation is more than can be attributed to random error. It was for his own development that I statistically proved him wrong. Got home. Emma was out, so played with the open weather station data sets. Some unexpected correlations that may mean death for all humankind. Had Cocoa Pops for dinner. December 24th, war blue time. Half day because of Christmas, was forced to wear cracker hat. Emma is still absent at her mother's. Checks and recheck the data. My thesis is, given a strict regression line to rainfall, presuming no statistical error in the measurements, in a year's time the water levels will rise to an unsustainable level, putting most of the world's population underwater. Wrapped Emma's present. December 25th. War novelty Christmas time. Emma got me a jumper. I got her a slow cooker. She seemed disappointed. I don't know why. She asked for a slow cooker. I'm now sure the world is going to end. 
Now in the real version of this, I have a little keyboard. I'll do a pretend solo for you now. It's not that good. January the 13th, war red time. New data coming in on trend, confirming hypothesis. Have published my findings online, including my correct predictions for weather for January and for the forthcoming months. Have been reposted on Reddit. Emma is uninterested. Obvious thinks it's ghosts in the data, but is impressed with the analysis itself. Well, except for Seb. January the 14th, Saturday, war no time. Site has equal amount of followers of doubters, but have realised that those who seem most impressed also believe in homeopathy. Consequently, we must regard them as statistically retarded. The average man on the street is still not aware of my research. Of course, in less than a year's time, the flood will present itself in a rather more physical form, but was expecting before then to receive Nobel Prize for services to humanity. January the 15th, war red time. Emma was passive to my research, but today she turned into an obstacle. Rather than being supporting wife, she tells me she is concerned and wants me to stop with the apocalypse thing. I ask if she will stop with the nagging thing. One nil. Took clipboard down to Brixton Market with full set of data and evidence. Several men and one woman shouted at me. One man, dark green bobble hat, red eyes, took the clipboard from me and walked off. He walked, didn't even run. January the 16th, war red time. Bought new clipboard. I sent an email to all contacts in the office database. Need to gather a critical mass of support. Seb took me into his office. An abuse of company resources, he said. I said, the world is going to end. Was fired. Had Cocoa Pops for dinner. Every scientist has faced rejection. When the world gives me my Nobel Prize and I am chief statistician to a shanty city on the sea, I will hire Seb as my assistant. This time I often down a glass of water. It's not even that entertaining, but sometimes people laugh anyway. I'm usually just thirsty. February the 17th. War jeans with hole in knee. Megaphone in Brixton going down well. Had a long chat with a man who had a big grey beard. He was convinced it was biblical, told him there's no evidence. I bought a boat and named it Emma. February the 18th, war jeans with hole in knee, and behind on mortgage. Money is a limited construct with no worth once the flood comes. I've started to stock up on supplies for the boat. Neighbours called Emma the boat, an eyesore. Neighbours are a construct with no worth once the flood comes. February the 19th, war jeans with hole in knee. Fish people will read this diary and realise that I was right. My bed still feels cold at night. Copernicus must have felt lonely. I miss Emma making me cocoa pops. Now in this chorus, there is no musical frivolity. I just stand there. It's a sad chorus, you see. I pull a face. Like this.
15. Wore waterproof trousers. It has been raining for a fortnight now. Heavy rain, just like I said. I've started ferrying to trade for supplies. Paul Fitchett wants me to take him to a gig. New owners of the house trying to evict my boat. Told them they are the ones that will be evicted. Evicted by Mother Earth, the ultimate landlord. They didn't laugh. Most people are still working, carrying on as if nothing is happening. Hunter's boots have an outspunt for profits. Out there they're buying suits and iPhones as the world falls apart. I feel calm, stocked up on UHT milk. March 16th, wore waterproof trousers. The water's now the first story in Brixton. Emma rang me and said she was scared, asked if I could come to her mum's. I said, does this mean you think that I'm right? Even after everything, she wasn't sure. The people blame everyone and no one. It was all there in the data. Some come to me swimming, see me happily floating and think, now there's an idea. A man offered me a million pounds just for my life. He begged and bribed and threatened. I pushed him away from my boat with a stick. He drowned. Now, that now guys, can you all put your hands up like this? Just one hand up. Beautiful. And we're going to do this. Very good. Now, any of you that know the words, if you can join in in the next chorus, we're going to hit it. It's going to be awesome. Let's go. Now that Brixton's afloat, will you lay your body next to mine and we'll sink to the bottom of the sea? For now, my darling, we should smother ourselves in brine. Now that Brixton's afloat upon the sea. Someone beatboxing in the back. I feel so hippity hop. July 23rd, wore wetsuit. My model predicted that the flood would subside and it hasn't. Not sure what this means for my Nobel Prize. A boat appeared on the horizon. I tried hailing it, dusted off my megaphone and shouted. I haven't spoken to anyone in months. No one was on board. Now the internet's gone, they would have known who I was. Anyway, they would have known that I was right. I will have to give myself an award. I was right though. Running out of Cocoa Pops. Thank you very much, guys. Tip. Superbad told us all about how tragedy and poignancy are shared in the flood using multimedia and traditional storytelling techniques. My aim for it was to try, although it is obviously a tragic story it is about a flood that destroys the world and you know I, I put jokes in but there's only so funny you can make it uh, what I really wanted was this idea of uh, a collective um, as we get to the end so it's more like we feel adversity but we should come together to face it um, which is sort of a more positive message hopefully um, and so that's why I do this big sing-along at the end and so involve the audience in this idea of being a group facing, well, a giant flood that's going to destroy the world. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for. And um, how do you use the characters? Uh, so each of the characters, because it's also an e-book as well, I've been writing some of these characters for quite a decent length of time, so there are other stories about them. Uh, so it's been really nice to sort of 
put them on a stage because you kind of discover more about them as you put them on. And so I often will write a story, go and perform a story, say, oh, right, okay, that doesn't quite work. What can we do? How can we change things around a little bit um, and make it better? And I know that the flood, even as it stands, has another version of it uh, further on that will be a will develop the characters a, a little bit further a little bit more uh, but yeah it's all about the it's all about the development process and gradually how you get there I think do you like using lots of different multimedia uh, so I in the flood I put a projector screen in the background I have a little keyboard that I play little nonsense bits with uh, although my favorite bit of multimedia in the flood is uh, I also play a robot at one point um, and I do that by vocoding my voice live which I don't think very many people ever do um, for the sensible reason that it, it was quite difficult to set up uh, so I do I set up all the tech myself uh, and it's a pain massive pain in the ass I wish it was uh, a lot easier uh, but I've been doing that for ages now and the whole reason for it is for me is like we have all these techniques that are open to us and available to us and particularly for storytelling a man standing on a stage talking for an hour you need to try and make that as interesting as you possibly can uh, and so I do it by using as many techniques as I as I can think of as I can get in and so yeah it's all about having those videos having some music to give it some of the atmosphere I use quite a lot of sound effects as well to try and give it the idea so I think that's why also my stuff works reasonably well on radio because I do try and think of the whole audio experience rather than just me on a stage. Is the Fringe a good place for experimentation and innovation like yours? <sighs> yes and no. I think you're I think you can put anything on at the Fringe uh, which is wonderful. I think also, as soon as you start to say that you're experimenting, you might struggle to get the audiences in. Um, if it's good, people will come, no matter what you're doing. And so that's why The Fringe is great. But it does, to get them in, or to get those initial people in in the first place requires quite a lot of preparation. And I mean, this is my fourth year now, so I've had to build up a little bit of reputation um, to allow the audience to go with me, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's not... It's not the easiest of places, I don't think. And you call yourself, uh, you said that you, you mentioned you're a storyteller. Yeah. Um, what's at the heart of the story? It's all, well, you see, loads of people have different theories as to this. And uh, it is all about character. I think that's what people will, to begin with, is having character. But something's got to happen to that character. So it is just character and plot. Uh, combined, but they should work together as a form rather than just one or the other. Uh, I know plenty of brilliant writers who can really evoke an awesome character, but then they're unsure what to do with them. Um, I certainly have been criticised for being a little too plot-driven uh, when I put my characters through whatever ridiculous thing has come into my head this time. Uh, so it's about once you get the both and once you combine them, that's when an audience start to fall in love and be in you want them to fall in love with your character
Superbard has loads of stuff up on his website, www.superbard.co.uk, including an ebook of The Flood that you can purchase. Stand Up Tragedy, heartily recommend making that purchase. Superbard is truly excellent. And you can follow him at the Superbard on Twitter if you want to find out more about what's going on with him. The Edinburgh Festival is a great place to try unusual ideas, and there's so many different types of art happening all around you in that city during August. The PBH Free Fringe is particularly amazing because it gives people a chance to perform and experiment and share new ideas with audiences at a much lower cost than generally speaking as part of the Fringe. Stand Up Tragedy were part of the Free Fringe when we took our show up to the Fiddler's Elbow this year. And here's an example of one of those special unusual shows. Michelle Madison, who organises the London branch of the poetry event organisation Hammer and Tongue, told Bryony more about her new fringe show I'm sorry I haven't a haiku now let's listen to Michelle here's Michelle telling us about some tragedy and then finally we're going to hear some tragic haikus my name is Michelle Madison and I'm a poet from London where I run um, the Camden bit of Hammer and Tongue and it's a national slam network so I'm up at the fringe with my show I'm sorry I haven't haiku which is a haiku panel game show it's the first of its kind in the world probably be the last um, as well but it's lots of fun and we get along loads of poets from around the fringe to perform. I'm also probably going to be doing Tung Fu at the Gilded Balloon next week and I'm doing a night at uh, the Dragonfly tonight at about 11.20 and I'll be doing various other bits and bobs because I also write long bits and chat shit. In the past three years poetry's really evolved here. People don't really review spoken word properly yet at least the nationals don't but um, the Broadway Baby and the other sort of like dedicated review uh, papers do come along and see these shows and um, they're starting to pay more attention to it and there's some amazing things to see like Rob Orton's Sky Show absolutely fantastic go and see Luke Wright he's like the granddaddy of, um, of performance poetry Ross Sutherland's also fantastic people like Tim Key actually made their name at Poetry Night so you know there's lots of stuff going on that kind of simmers under the surface and you only really hear about the big names that crop up but loads of the stuff happens here at the Free Fringe and it's really exciting what's it like being part of the Fringe as a performer? quite sweaty quite sweaty yeah it's, it's just every, every room is like either freezing cold or like so obscenely hot but it's loads of fun and it's really um, exciting you meet fantastic people there's loads of camaraderie and loads of things go wrong all the time all the time do you have a tragic moment um i had a tragic technical moment yesterday where i i'm what is known as a techno spaz so everything i touch breaks and um and I, ba- I basically was trying to do something clever on my computer and it went mental and thousands of screens popped up saying I hate you, I hate you, I hate you and then, um, and then I al- almost broke the projector which I just had to, I borrowed off someone and I didn't have enough money to get it, to pay them for it so I've given them a credit card and a ring um, so I hope that I can get those back um, but aside from that I haven't died yet so I'm alright. I'm Adam Camling. I'm a spoken word artist. I've been doing Hammer and Tongue with the wonderful Rosie Carrick. Um, and we were running a slam and I've been performing all over the shop. Um, my tragic moment was today. I was going up to Arthur's Seat to see a show um, and I didn't know how to get to Arthur's Seat and I ended up scrambling up the side of the hill, which is incredibly steep. Uh, and then looking behind me when I started getting tired and realizing that I was in a actual kind of like 
near-death experience kind of situation um, but it was easier to go up than down but actually more difficult once I was halfway up there and couldn't get down at all and it was really really terrifying and I did lots of sweating and kind of thinking about my family and you know my life flashing before my eyes but I made up to Arthur's seat but because I spent so long um, fretting <laughs> I don't know if I've ever said the word fretting before because I spent so long fretting and scrambling I missed the show uh, but it's still nice up at Arthur's seat so it could have been more tragic or I could have fallen off and died Hello my name's Jim Ewing I'm a poet and although I normally write free verse I use the haiku form as well For the tragic ones this was a found one someone gave a Facebook message and I turned it into a haiku Two weeks in New York then two weeks in Cumbernauld. These things balance out. Stand up tragedy. Tragedy comes in all forms, from haikus and tweets to epic poems or epic stories. Now, we'd like to have your tragic moments sent to us via Twitter. Hashtag tragic moments. You can find us at Stand Up For Tragedy over there. If you want to send us an epic poem or an epic story, you can always email us. We're upstandingtragedy at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook and you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or using the free Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone. So that's where you can find us. That's what we're all about. Remember that tragedy is best shared. And for now, the tragedy is over. It's time to go. This podcast was produced by Bryony Hawkins with audio production from Stephen Harvey. The music comes from Sam Wilkinson, who you can email at radiojuan at gmail.com. The rest of the music was produced by George Brufton, written by the reactionaries with added bagpipes from Vaughan Granding. I'm Dave, I'm your host, and the tragedy is once again over. <laughs>